Well, welcome to the journey. This is uh, episode 13, and uh, it's hard to believe that we've already done 13 episodes, but uh, Dalton, you were on episode one, and uh, what I found was interesting about that, that happened to be that night you were going to have your first practice um, for this 2018-2019 uh, high school wrestling season. And now we're a couple weeks out of the state tournament. I know you've had some, uh, some, of, the, some of your club programs that have been wrapping up. Yeah. And just wanted to get kind of your take on this is your first year uh, as the head wrestling coach of the Belvedere Co-op, and that's something new um, for the Nick 10 um, as well. So just curious, what was, what was this like? Uh, it wasn't your first coaching experience, obviously, but it was your first uh, coaching uh, this co-op and going back and being the head coach from where you, where you started and where you wrestled at. Yeah, so, I mean, one season did wrap up this last month. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a wild learning experience. Sure. Um, as far as the co-op, yeah, it was uh, the first time for the Nick 10 to have a co-op program. Uh, and I believe the Rockford schools are going to co-op next year into two programs. Um, that's still kind of waiting to be um, finalized. But from everything that I hear, uh, that's the case. But If you could just maybe explain a little bit for people that may not, what, what's the benefit of the co-op and what's, what are the reasons that kind of pushes yeah. a, a, a school or school district into doing that? So school districts seem to be uh, – um, gravitating towards co-oping programs in communities that are maybe um, not having the the participation that they'd like mm -hmm. and instead of cutting a program because of the lack of involvement I think their hope is that maybe if there's only two or three or five individuals or ten for instance mm -hmm. uh, in Belvedere I think there's 12 and 12 uh, 12 mm -hmm. kids from Belvedere 12 kids from Belvedere North that want to wrestle and because there's only 12 kids maybe uh, a program doesn't see the uh, you know maybe a school district doesn't see the point of of um, having uh, a sport and in this case it kind of is an opportunity to one you know save some some money from a um, budget standpoint but two just to keep the sports alive I sure, guess sure. but uh, yeah so so the two schools Belvedere Belvedere North co-opt into one program and we practice out of Belvedere North okay. um, and uh, yeah I, I believe next year a few of the Rockford schools are going to co-op with Rockford East and Rockford Guilford okay. so it'll be uh, Guilford and Auburn and Jefferson and East but again it, sure. when I release this I uh, when we release this uh, this should be finalized okay. but um, it, it's looking like that and a lot of it's because you know, Auburn's numbers have been down mm -hmm. uh, for a long period of time. Sure. Um, and uh, Jefferson has had some bouts, but basically the same. Yeah. And Guilford and East seems to uh, stay the same. Okay. But um, So instead of making a, a Rockford powerhouse uh, program out of one, and then but trying to make it more balanced. Yeah. Okay. And I have a lot of opinions about um, sports in – schools and school systems and s itself you know where they're going wrong why mm -hmm. they're not sure you know um but that's another i mean that's a difficult conversation to sure, have because yeah. it has a lot to do it has a lot to do with the distractions that come into play mm -hmm. at a university level um 
at a university level, the athletic director is responsible for athletics, mm-hmm. right? At a public school uh, education level, the athletic director is responsible responsible for all of the activities, all of the scheduling, and so on and so forth. But also, most times, there are principals, so they're also dealing with disciplinary. They're sure. also dealing with budgets and stuff like that. Right. And so they're not actually focused on developing more numbers. They're not mm. focused on, uh, you know, I mean, for instance, the idea of recruiting, recruiting kids from within the district to mm-hmm. to the sports teams itself, um, or getting people outside to move to the community and, and participate in right. the sports. Right. So um, there are a lot of reasons why um, public sports are failing. And I think a lot of it has to do with the the uh, organization standpoint of it. It's just it's really complicated and and uh, situation. I, I definitely will find a way to sure. explain my thoughts on that because sure. I, you know, what we're talking about right now. I mean, the trials and tribulations that come with this co-op program is like all for me is like awareness into the school system it's Mm -hmm. awareness into what's going on uh on a daily basis um you know just i've been in the school more the last you know two years than i have been in the last 12 years so So this year kind of going back to and obviously that may be one of the things that you uh over the past two years and maybe more specifically this year moving from an assistant coach last year to a head coach this year probably you know kind of forced some of those things and uh, increased awareness about what was going on that may you may have been sheltered from as an assistant coach but what what are the things like if you had an overall and maybe that's too complicated you know there's probably more than one thing but if there's uh, something that you now look back and it's March now and in what was what do you learn now that that you didn't know in October that specifically came because you went through it so if there was something like that that kind of pops out at you um, yeah I, I think definitely um, um, finding creative ways to articulate a vision that isn't fully created okay that's definitely something that um, is hard to do but I think as the head coach, yeah, I think that's the hardest thing is to explain the vision to people uh, while it's being created. Sure. Um, And then from, you know, a boring standpoint, it's like the amount of emails that I get from my athletic director about this or this, or I have to email him about uh, scheduling or stuff like that. Some of those management things, yeah. Yeah, and then like the little rules that (coughs) – that you have to follow the IHSA rules about how many dates you have, this weight certification. Okay. You know, th- there's a lot of things that keep you occupied away from the actual thing. Sure. And I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why I love being an assistant coach as opposed to anything else. Like, you just worry about coaching. Yeah. And as a head coach, you have to make sure everybody's happy, um, make sure that they understand what their roles are supposed to be, and – and this year I can get into the idea of like if they don't if they're not happy with the role that you give them as a uh, coaching staff um, you either have to figure out a way that you can reconcile that or or they have to go yeah Um, but yeah a lot of the busy work that that's one thing that going from an assistant coach to 
to the head coach. But okay. And I think those are, in a, in a lot of times, uh, you'll see someone who's a good wrestler or a good basketball player, a good football player, a volleyball player, whatever it may be, and then like when they're, once they're done competing, they think the natural progression, because they, they still want to be attached to the sport, is to go into coaching. And once you move into that, uh, the top of the podium is to be a head coach, you find out, well, there's more to it than, than just being on the mat. There's all this administrative stuff and there's management. But I want to jump into something that you said that I'm, I'm a little intrigued about just because it's part of my interest is this, I, you talked about the idea of having a vision, but you alluded to the idea that it didn't have to be in, in marble um, be, before you presented it to your staff as well as the wrestlers as well as the parents. What did you mean by that, that it didn't have to be in concrete or in marble? It was, a, it was an evolving uh, yeah. vision. Well, I mean, the places that I've been have, uh, have experienced a lot of success. And mm -hmm. so success isn't easy. There isn't an easy recipe for it. Sure. And um, you can take somebody else's recipe, but if you don't have the the same mixture of, you know, family support, family life, um, commitment to the sport, um, understanding of the sport, then that recipe doesn't necessarily work. Right, right. Uh, going to a program like um, Belvedere, where one, it's my hometown, two, it's a co-op program, so that means that the program's not in great shape. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of issues that are at the at the developmental level that are contributing to the high school level. Um, so when I you know assess all that stuff and I took the job, it's like, okay, I know some things that are 100% going to be done, but as far as everything else, like, I don't know what I don't know. Right. So I have to see, you know, I need assistant coaches, yes, but I I also know that I need them to do certain things. Right. Well, what do I need them to do? I don't know yet, <laughs> right? And, uh, you know, that's one thing I struggled with this year is, like, people, and this goes back to our conversation before the podcast, like, people are not satisfied with uncertainty. They're not okay with it. Mm -hmm. And so um, people that wanted to know what my vision was didn't, they didn't like the answer that I gave them. They, they they thought that I need to have an answer for that. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that that was funny because it's, it's like if you were in my position, you'd be making something up right now. Right. You wouldn't be actually thinking about it. You'd right. be making it up. Right. And uh, I've met some good people um, in, in, in my experience. And, like, I, I just – every time I talk to a friend and they, and they talk about, um, you know, you need people that are just ready – to do what you need them to do. Right. And then, you know, I met an assistant coach who's a assistant coach under a friend of mine, and I was like, well, how did you get into coaching and stuff like that? He's like, I, I wasn't going to do it, but I just said, hey, whatever you need help with, I'll, I'll do that. Right. And now he's an assistant coach right. because he's the type of person that said, hey, whatever you need help with, I'll help you with. Yeah. Yeah. He stood at attention, ready to go right. when needed, whereas um, what I found this year uh, – and again, this goes into why some people uh, get into coaching, but um, they weren't okay with not knowing what their role was. They yeah. couldn't just some. And I say, and they there was a couple individuals specifically that I had on my staff that just weren't okay with 
being excited to be at practice. Yeah. You know, they weren't okay with just trying to get a kid to jog a little harder in the warm up. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't that's not enough for some people yeah. and uh um in in the early stages of of a of a sports um program um rebuilding process like it's it's a lot of unknowns and and just figuring it out so well yeah let's talk a little bit about that you know obviously as you said with it being a co-op that means that you know most likely that means the numbers are down yeah that means that when numbers are down there's a very good possibility at least from a team standpoint there's not going to be a lot of success from a team standpoint even if they do have individual wrestlers that are doing doing well but obviously the wrestling wrestling room itself is going to take away from uh, having good wrestling wrestling partners and all those all that aspect of it but what as you're building a program i remember being at harlem um, after Harlem had almost set the, the state record for most consecutive losses. And I, I remember being um, uh, coming on right after that season um, when they had their first win to break that most consecutive losses uh, in, a, in a row. And it, they were still very much in that second season, very much in the rebuilding phase of that. And I remember the, the, the attention to detail of, of the small things. But my role, um, my first coaching assignment was a seventh grade coach, and I had 70-some kids come out just for seventh grade football. And uh, Brian Benning, who was the head coach at that time, um, he says, I don't care if you win a game or not. I want you to make sure that the kids are learning certain fundamental things that are part of Harlem football, but I want to make sure that you retain as many of those um, student-athletes as possible. They have to have fun. They, they need to learn some things. Um, certain basic things, but make uh, allow football to be fun. In other words, it, it was less important. I have no idea if we, you know, if we won a game that year or not. We didn't keep track of that. Um, with that many kids, I had 44 starters. Um, so kids started on special teams or started on offense or defense, and then we switched it around possibly the following week so that they could learn. But um, what were what were some of the things that uh, that you think of when just like that, helping another, help uh, the coaching um, assignment was to help a student athlete run a little bit faster, uh, push themselves a little bit harder in practice. What were some other examples of just those little things that you wanted to focus on versus a win? Yeah, I mean, you know, wrestling is uh, a difficult sport uh, to participate in um, outside of trying to be a, a high outside of trying to have a lot of success, just the activity itself is pretty hard. So you need people who have enthusiasm uh, for being in the room and working hard. Um, makes it fun, you know? It's fun when everybody's working hard and they enjoy working hard. Sure. It's not fun if you have people who are complaining about working hard. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the biggest aspects of that is getting people from a leadership standpoint, the coaches, as well as you know, individuals within the the program to show enthusiasm for s little s little things like that. Mm -hmm. um, why work hard? Because you can, yeah. you know, and 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 not working hard means that you didn't, you know, honor give yourself, you know, the honor of of seeing what you had that day and stuff. So I think that you know, getting attitude and effort is something that uh, is important. Um, you know. 
I think when, as you're talking, I was thinking about like, what are the, you know, what are the co- concrete steps to like, um, getting things, uh, on the right track. And that's like, you know, improving the numbers, mm-hmm. uh, getting kids out at the, at the lower level mm-hmm. and getting them, you know, uh, oriented with fundamental skills, yeah. um, getting and building and, 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 uh, you know, molding that competitive spirit, you know, wanting to, to compete, uh, against other people because it's fun. Um, and then also, like you said, like finding a way to understand what sports are for, uh, sports are there to teach life skills, life lessons. Um, and you have to do that through honoring the, the sport in itself. Like you, you can't, you can't get life lessons by, by not working hard right. you can't get life lessons by you know showing up sometimes right. so um it's a game it's a fun game it's a difficult game it's a challenging game but it's just a game um but you have to have enthusiasm to train to prepare for the game um so those are the, some of the things yeah. that i think about well and i think just as you were listening i mean i wrestled for a few years um, when I was in middle school and high school, and um, a, and one of the things that I remember about um, uh, you know you can kind of like what you talked about you c- you may not be c- be able to control how how tall you are uh, you know or certain certain elements you can't control but you can control how much effort you put in to improve with what you do have and in continuing to learn um, to improve that and then I think the other element that happens with wrestling because you're so exposed, you're so vulnerable, it's you against one other person, and um, if there is a mental block um, regarding a particular move, a particular um, a particular shot, then then the then working with them on how to get over that and, and, and go through that mental block that's preventing them from being who they could be. Because if they have mental blocks on the mat, let's say uh, mentally they have this block of uh, shooting uh, um, a single leg it, for whatever reason that is well there's probably something also in their life or there is something else in their life where they're they're having the same problem in yeah. you know with their studies or parents or whatever yeah well I'm glad you brought this up because I, I one wasn't thinking about this when we sat down but then my last 72 hours plus the last month right the state series the sure. end of the year banquets yeah. Yeah. Um, you know the social gatherings that you mm-hmm. start running into the family a lot more and stuff like that um it's everything that's everything yeah. right like the wrestling and all that stuff is pretty simple um and and uh, almost all of coaching is is finding finding out why individuals are the way that they are mm-hmm. and that's what has allowed me to be extremely unattached because I can't, you know, if a kid has an issue in wrestling, it's almost 100% that it stems from home. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a confidence issue, whether it's an anxiety issue, whether it's um, a focus issue. Uh, you know, those three things, like confidence. Do, do y- you have people around you that model confidence in a healthy manner, mm-hmm. right? Is it true confidence? Do they really believe in themselves because of the work that they've done oftentimes Mm -hmm. 
everybody I mean everybody struggles this is not a common uh, characteristic but it's important for wrestling if you want to be successful mm -hmm. um, anxiety right being nervous about the outcome I mean you know to give you an example of that I had a conversation with somebody and I talked to the dad and I said do you get nervous I said you get nervous you know if you you remember when you got nervous for like whatever and he said no and I was like you're lying <laughs> Yeah. You're lying to me. Yeah. And I didn't actually say that part. I just, in my head, was like, mm -hmm. this guy's got to work out his issues. Mm -hmm. I don't care who, who he thinks I think he is. Like, I don't care. He's wrong. He's yeah. lying. Mm -hmm. You know, he'd be the only human being in the history of the world that never got nervous. Mm -hmm. right. You know, and, and uh, his ignorance to that um, is exactly why his son is nervous. Mm -hmm. He thinks he doesn't get nervous. His son gets nervous because his dad cares about the outcome. Mm -hmm. Doesn't care about the effort. He says he cares about the effort, but he doesn't actually only care about the effort. Right. Because the effort is only good enough if the outcome is the one that he wants. Correct, right, right, right. If the outcome's not the one he wants, then it always is the effort. Right. Where you might just run into a kid that... Just to start. ...wants to win, <laughs> yeah. you know? And yeah. it's like, that happens, and then... What was the third one? The the third one was the focus. Like, yeah. I mean, time and time again, a kid will come into the season and say he wants something, and I say, okay, just know that that's going to be hard. And then at the end of the year, the parents are making excuses for them because not even making excuses for them like they don't want to be at practice, but literally taking them away, saying, no, we got to go do this. This is more important than your focus. So now they're learning – not to focus. Mm -hmm. um, you know, where my parents, no matter what, if they want to go on vacation, I was staying home to go mm -hmm. wrestle. I was, you know, it's just, so those things are all stemming from home. Right. From the, And this is why, again, whether it's public education or public sports or whatever, or, I mean, I mean, definitely public. Private's a little bit different because you have more opportunities to intervene, I think. I think there's less rules with... Uh, like, I think I'm. A, I'm assuming. I, I don't know what the word, what the the legal word, uh, the legal setting is for private schools. But it's like if a kid's not learning in in class, it's likely one of those three things. Sure. You know, like why isn't the child learning? So you know, with anything when dealing with human beings, it almost always goes to who's around them the most. So if you were going to, just as we wrap up this part of, of the segment, uh, if there was going to be a, a couple things that you, let's say two things, let's, let's say you flash back to the, to the banquet that you had at the end of the year or whatever, if there was two things that you went, you know, this is what I'm, I'm glad, I was proud that we did this year. This year. We, we planted some seeds with doing this. Even if, what would be some of those things that, that you would say that you would go, all right, this is what I got out of this season. Yeah. One, I definitely got a lot of understanding of organizational leadership and, and just operations. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've known a lot in the past because I've been around a lot of people. Um, you could have the smartest person in the world at the top, and there's going to be 20 people that think they're an idiot. Mm -hmm. So I've mm -hmm. always known <laughs> that that kind of goes along with it. Um but understanding like 
that long-term approach, the seeds, planting the seeds. Um, this year, the one thing that I can be really, really excited about, some things that went our way is, you know, we competed at the lower level, and we were undefeated at tournaments. So we were JV champions at the East JV tournament, uh, Jan Jameson, uh, Guilford tournament, yeah. and then Fresh Soft Conference we won. Okay. Um, a lot of that has to do with the fact that we combined teams. Sure. So we had like a double JV squad, mm -hmm. um, and our varsity, most of our varsity guys were JV guys. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a little inflated, mm -hmm. you know. But from a long term approach, it's like it's huge. Yeah. You know, having having wins are important because my personality is competitive. Yeah. I'm competitive. Mm -hmm. I want I want kids to compete. I don't want kids to not want to win. Yeah. Because Winning is an expression of the efforts and the focus that you put in, and it's your your honoring your potential. Yeah. You know, winning shows that you're doing the right things. Yeah. Um, so I think winning is important um, to building that confidence. Yeah. Why do you have confidence in sports? Because you win. Yeah. Why do you win? Because you do all the right things. Right. You know, most of the time when you win, it's not because of anything other than you truly believe that you outworked other people. Right. That might not be true, but because you did the work, you believed it. Right. Um, um, and so, you know, changing the 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 standard for competitive spirit. Let's say say that I think is something extremely uh, foundational that that happened this year. Yeah. You know. You know, I think there's a balance, right? I, I think there's a tension and a balance between the idea of um, the the ambition and the and the yearning to win, as well as the process of how to be a winner. I, I think there's two things, right? And you know, I think I don't know many people that don't like to win. It's just that they may not have developed the the character or the skills um, to be a winner, right? And a winner doesn't necessarily mean you're always at the top of the podium. It's because there's some. There's a lot of stories about individuals that may have gotten second or third or whatever in a tournament and who who had the characteristics of a winner. It just may not have fell for them that day yeah. and vice versa. Individuals who may be at the top of the podium who may have had a combination of different things happen. And obviously they had skill and they had talent, but did it cross over to that next stage of life? You know, and I think of when I was a freshman um, and I had the fortunate to wrestle up this is back in the 80s when you, you didn't wrestle up. You know, you, you wrestled your weight. You wrestled your class. You wrestled, if you were a freshman, you wrestled freshmen. Maybe you would wrestle JV or sophomores, wrestle sophomores. And, um, and they would move me up to varsity to practice. We didn't, I didn't wrestle, but I wrestled. And, and sometimes I'd have a match because there was only so many meets, um, so many matches you could have in a year back then. And, um, but I remember that if I even got a takedown, Against these two guys that were at the end of the year state play um, uh, uh, state placers, um, that I counted that as a win. Um, I got the crap kicked out of me every single, every single uh, uh, time we were on the mat. I got the crap kicked out of me. Yeah. But when I went back and wrestled against freshmen, I was like, oh wow, this was. Yeah. <laughs> now, interestingly enough, though, I internalized because I was that type of kid that internalized. I internalized that because I was wrestling with those guys, I had to win. 
at the freshman level. And so there, even though I probably was better than a lot of them because I was wrestling in practice up, um, there was this expectation that if I lost, there would be great shame. And, um, and that was me. No one put that on me, but that was how, um, how I internalized things. But um, I know we're going to have to check. I'll just press the button. Okay, yeah. sounds good. But um, one of the things I want to move on to and transition into is something that you said earlier about this idea about self-awareness. You, t- you refer to that, that, um, that dad, that father, who um, uh, appeared that he was a lack of awareness of, of having any anxiety either then or in his, in his previous life. So I, I want to I talk about that and uh, yeah. see about that. So, um, so this idea of how can we have um, – we have – about self-awareness, and I think, uh, I think a lot of times, at least for us as men, there's this idea that um, if I admit failure, if I admit um, that I have some fear, um, or as you use the word anxiety, that somehow that is weakness. Where, and I know that I subscribe to that specifically when I was younger. I subscribe to it. I would, I would. I, I knew that I didn't know what they were talking about, whoever they are, um, but I would not ask a question because that either meant, one, I was stupid if I didn't know, um, or, or two, um, that I wasn't, um, I wasn't paying attention when they gave out the information the first time. And so I would sit and listen and try to figure it out instead of being vulnerable enough just to ask. Um, it was only later on that I learned that asking is how you learn, yep. and in asking for someone to qualify uh, to clarify something uh, is a is a way of um, for me at least that's how we actually go through the learning process um, versus like that I should all all of a sudden know. So what what would you say? And, and again, this does this may not be about wrestling at all anymore. We may refer back to wrestling, but just that piece where you said that that particular individual was. Um, a lack of awareness of his own uh, time periods in his life where either then or later earlier um, that he had fear or had anxiety and said, nope, I don't do that. Yeah. I think <clears throat> I think that self-awareness and the concept of self-awareness is becoming uh, more more understood like, I'm I'm understanding self-awareness more now than ever, but I'm really understanding how self-awareness is like the key to success in anything, mm-hmm. right? And and one of the things that I think makes it really difficult is the attachment to emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, I was taught growing up that you are not your emotions. It wasn't intentional. No, I mean, I think it was intentional. It was an accidental, intentional thing, mm-hmm. right? Like, my family grew up around people that didn't care about your emotions. Mm-hmm. So they didn't care about mine. Mm-hmm. But they also did, mm-hmm. right? They cared about my emotions, but they didn't care about them to the point where, you know, if I felt like I was sad, they didn't think that I would, that, that was the end of the world. Mm-hmm. They right. thought, oh, he'll get over it. Right. And, you know, when it comes to self-awareness in wrestling, and, I mean, we could talk about it in a lot of things. Like, knowing what you're – knowing who you are, what you're good at, 
what your struggle's at, honestly, that's the key to then addressing those things. You know, um, I've had this this come up too too many times, but if if individuals are at the high school level and they have not understood what self-awareness is, when they tell me something, right? So I've, I've gone through the sport and succeeded um, at all levels. Four-time placer at the kids' state level, four-time high school state placer, two-time college All-American, wrestled at two Division One universities. Outside of winning a national title and wrestling at the Olympics, um, those are about the and, and winning a high school state championship or a kids state championship. So right there, you know, there's four things that I didn't get to do mm-hmm. that that outside of that everything else I did. Mm-hmm. If somebody comes up to me and tells me they want one of those four things that I didn't get, mm-hmm. and then their actions are not even close to what I was doing, mm-hmm. I'm gonna tell them mm-hmm. that they're not on the right track. Right. When I say that, almost 100% of the time, if they're not aware of how difficult those challenges are before high school, they can't handle it. Mm -hmm. When they're 16, 17, 18 years old, and I tell them that they're not good enough to win a state title, they take that completely emotionally, Mm -hmm. like completely the wrong way, and then it's obviously oftentimes supported because people who are not kids who are not emotionally intelligent come from parents who are not emotionally intelligent. Mm-hmm. Um, because if their parents were emotionally intelligent, they wouldn't have gotten that far without finding out that maybe they need to do more work. Maybe maybe their goals are not okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like meaning. Emotional intelligence, you know, I hear this a lot, right, with um, people, practical versus um, impractical goals. Mm -hmm. Make sure your goals are practical. That's what people often say. And then other successful people say, hey, make sure you have audacious goals, right? Um, Ray Dalio says that, audacious goals. But I've heard other coaches say make practical goals, and I'm like, well, if I ever made a practical goal, then I wouldn't be who I am. Right. But when you make audacious goals, you have to be emotionally intelligent to understand that, like, you got to go as as far as you can go out there to make that goal. You have to go that far out of your comfort zone to make the adjustments to make that goal. Right. So, like, if you're not willing to work out until you vomit mm-hmm. or uh, – train your legs or your body so hard that you can't walk the next day mm-hmm. if you're not a, a prepared enough to go that far out of your comfort zone as you were from a goal step standpoint mm-hmm. then 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 yeah so the emotional intelligence allows you to realize like yeah I can say that crazy goal but I better get crazy on the things that I do outside of that to lead up to that mm-hmm. um, right. and so that, that was one of the things that I was going to say is like I, you know Emotional intelligence is 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 f- almost taught to to be ignored mm-hmm. by people because parents will ask their kids and coaches will too, uh, "What are your goals?" Mm-hmm. And then that kid has been taught 
not by the nature of of like hey uh what do you actually want what are your actions tell you no they're taught to tell you the goal that you think that they should have mm -hmm. And so then it, this like eliminates emotional intelligence like yeah. altogether. It's like, well, I'm going to tell you state champion because that'll make you feel better. Right. It's like, well, it's not going to make me feel better, right. you know. And it especially doesn't if you're not aware of like your actions, yeah. you know, how good you are. You know, I, t I teach a couple of different classes that we incorporate the concept of emotional intelligence, and it starts just like you said. It starts with this idea of there's there's four steps. And there's a lot more into it than what I'm just about to say. But um, Daniel Goldman was one of the individuals that did this original work and research around this idea of emotional intelligence and that we all have the ability to have emotional intelligence. It's just like it's like our EQ versus our IQ. It's just how developed is it. And some of us are stronger um, naturally than others because our limbic system is, is stronger. But it still comes to how developed is it. Um, you can take someone who has 130 uh, IQ, but if they've never been in front of uh, any type of uh, mathematics or any type of uh, science, or they're not going to necessarily develop skills in that, even though their IQ would could be recorded at, at that. And emotional intelligence is very similar. We have this idea that the first stage is self-awareness. And then based upon being aware of self, whatever that whatever's being revealed, whatever's showing up on the radar screen, then what are you managing? It's, it's self-awareness and then self-management. What are you doing? So if I'm, in a, if I'm in a bad mood and I have a, a value system that doesn't look at being in a bad mood as positive, then what am I doing to regulate that? What am I doing to bring me back to a homeostasis versus someone who um, wants that they value being in a bad mood because they think it gives them an edge that that they you know if I'm ornery and I'm angry then no one can hurt me and so they're gonna value that and so they're not gonna manage that that they're actually gonna do things to amplify that um, the idea is let's say we want to be in that homeostasis we want to be in that place where we're just open and so being aware of where am I what am I doing to be in that open um, space being in that open uh, place and then as I do that then a lot that'll allow me and especially we were talking about parenting that as a father that allows me to be present in in space with my son or my daughter so that I can see where they're at because if I go in there with an agenda I'm not open I'm coming out of my own personal space and then I'm manage, managing myself that way and then attempting to influence or coerce my child that way which is goes back to what you were just talking about is this idea that um, if, if, if I have this uh, my identities wrapped up in my son being a state champion or a conference champion or whatever then that's my goal that's being impressed on him or her and then they know the given answer to get my dad's approval or uh, uh, validation is to say that when though we're able to be able to manage ourselves, be able to see where someone else is at we also call that empathy right um, and in our ability to see where someone else is at in the space where they're at then I can make um, some choices of how am I going to manage the relationship based upon that um, 
Some people may be in um, a really angry, negative, unsafe, toxic place. If I pick up on that, if I'm being open, then what am I doing to put myself into a safe position uh, so that I don't get any of that on me? <laughs> you know, so um, I think that um, at least that's how it's been taught to me and how I've been teaching others regarding some, some premises of emotional intelligence. And some people just, we never get past stage one and two, and then I'm just impacting. Um, so did you say, is identity a stage? Um, or is it just part of? Um, identity may identity is uh, kind of this idea of how do I get how do I see my own worth how do I see my own um, place where I fit into the world and so it, it's so interesting I remember this and, and I know this is almost comical but I was coaching at Harlem right at the time and I remember on a Friday night or a Saturday morning after we after we won conference for the first time in 20 years going around the grocery store. We had won the night before, won the conference championship the night before. And I remember walking through the grocery store thinking that I was the shit, man. <laughs> I thought it was I, was, I was, I was high on life because we had just, and I felt like the truth was, I don't even know if anyone even noticed or anyone even knew or anyone even knew. But inside, I felt like I had just won the Olympics. I was on the sideline as an assistant coach. It wa I wasn't Brian Benning. I wasn't, yeah. <laughs> you know, those guys. But I remember identifying so much for that. And, and I think right now with March Madness going on, yeah, we have people that are investing their identity based upon if their college team wins or loses. Yeah. And, um, and they have never even been to the university before, let alone, yeah. uh, you know, have actually any personal skin in the game. That's yeah. what I mean by identity. Well, identity definitely has a lot to do with your ability to, to be emotionally intelligent yeah. um, because you're, you know, being, in, being emotionally intelligent is the thing that can tell you that um, you're not where you need to be or, or you're not who you think you are or something mm -hmm. like that. So um, identity is, is huge. It's a concept that I've been trying to um, – you know, really um, understand better within the wrestling world because uh, a lot of parents are more involved now. Sports today, there are more parents involved in the sport. Not meaning involved like they're dropping their kids off or whatever, but they're now tying themselves mm -hmm. to the sport. Yeah. I find uh, it common that I hear people say you know this is what I tell him or this is what I do for them this is what I would say and it's like mm -hmm. interesting mm -hmm. you know that's cool but you don't know anything about this mm -hmm. so like really anything that you say is mm -hmm. I mean might help yeah. but like you're you're too invested already yeah and uh, I just had a conversation with my mom and uh, I'm gonna have my my parents on the school wrestling podcast okay, sure. Um, individually yeah. because I really want to find out their perspectives individually yeah. but huge aspect their identity was never I mean if they would have done this it would have I would have probably quit wrestling to mm -hmm. be honest mm -hmm. because the thing that I loved about wrestling so much it was individual sport right so it had nothing to do with any other person around any other kid, there was nothing that had to do with mm -hmm. it. Um, I played football and baseball, and those two sports 
I was impacted negatively because the coaches favored their kids mm-hmm. or the click got to start, you know, over over me because I was a littler uh, kid. Mm-hmm. And wrestling took all of that stuff away. It was all about me. It was all whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. And if, if I wanted to make it happen, that's what happened. It was my thing, mm-hmm. right? And I really, truly stepped into that ownership of it. Mm-hmm. And then as I got older and into high school and, and everything else, it was only about me. My parents came to watch the events and they would bring me, you know, you know, food for after weigh-ins and they would cheer in the stands. But that was it. Mm-hmm. They never once told me when to train. They never told me I had to go do this or that. They never told me any what weight I had to wrestle or who to watch out for, mm-hmm. who is, you know. They didn't do any of that stuff. They were out of it. To the point where I mean if, if you if you looked at that experience and then you looked at some of the experiences that I'm seeing right now, it's like I don't know how to navigate it properly yet mm-hmm. because I don't have an opinion on whether it's good or bad because, like, on one hand, it's annoying, but it's also the thing that's giving me contact to a lot of these kids yeah. because I'm talking to the parents yeah. more than I'm talking to the kid yeah. until the kid is – around me yeah. now i get to build the relationship with the kid but i do think that I, I agree with you i think involving the parents or having the parents on board it's kind of like when i do counseling right so if if someone is uh, is a young person right obviously a child or up until middle school before they drive but even up until if i have a 19 year old that's living with their parents i want my counselors to have the parents involved maybe not every session but the younger they are, they have to be involved every session. And I want them to come in at the beginning and check in with me. Why? Well, this particular student, this particular individual is living with their parents. It's obviously part of the influence. It, I want to know, is it a positive influence or a negative influence? If it's, if it's either one, how do, we ampl- how do we utilize that in this individual who the client is, the teenager or the middle schooler or whatever? How, do we, um, how are we helping that person be to where they – where they want to go, their own personal goals, and what were they created to be? Yeah, you know, they may pick, have picked up and been influenced that they want to be, you know, uh, the next, you know, whatever, you know, LeBron James in basketball or whatever, and that's great. And maybe they have the gifts and the talents to do that. But if the person really deep down inside is an artist and is only doing this because they should, but what they're really passionate about is doing art. Yeah. Well okay, we can do this activity called basketball. That's cool. And maybe it's going to give you a couple hundred thousand dollars scholarship to play, but it isn't going to really be the long term for you because yeah. the long term is, is that you have an artist in a LeBron James body. I mean, yeah. and I think a great example of that is um, uh, Terry Crews, the actor. Um, he was a football player, but he was a phenomenal artist and he paid his way through college I think he went to Western Michigan, if I remember correctly, um, was doing art. And then later he um, became, you know, an actor. And so I, I think what I would encourage as I was listening to you talk is that how to involve the parents, but that's part of that inviting them into that vision. Yeah. That what their sons and daughters are doing is more than just this sport. The sport's the vehicle. Yeah. 
to something that is well more it's important. It, it's one of the two right yeah. well i mean it's a little bit of both always yeah. but there are some people that want that sport to be their thing they yeah. really want to achieve yeah. success as the as a competitor yeah. and to be honest the world that we're living in now there's a lot more opportunities oh, yeah. uh whether it's actually getting into the professional uh the wrestling world there's you know, to, to try to win an Olympic title if you're capable, there's a lot of opportunities now. Oh, yeah. Um, get into UFC. Uh, yeah. There's channels and opportunities for, for individuals. And it, I think it comes back to that idea. One, I think I, I definitely will f- see if we can set up something where you can come in and facilitate some type of um, parents meeting because I think it would be kind of pretty cool. For one, I could give an opportunity to communicate their concerns or whatever, um, but also to jump into these other conversations yeah. about identity and emotional intelligence yeah. and and realizing that it's not about you guys it's yeah. about the other one um but then also addressing that idea is like philosophy matters right so um your philosophy has to be congruent with your actions yeah. so for instance if you're a kid who doesn't care if you win a state championship okay cool you don't have to wrestle Right. But if you do want to wrestle for the activity, like because you believe that you you want to do this because it will make you better, then okay. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. But that means you have to put in the same effort yep. because that's what's gonna make you better. Uh and that's okay. Yep. You know, and um just having that, that conversation of that philosophy because some people want no, he's you know, they're not in it to win. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's, they still got to be in it to work hard, yeah. you know, and so. Yeah, you said something earlier. I'm gonna go back to what you said about anxiety, and um, it just it just remind me of, of of this is that I remember I just I just recently said this to to some individuals about I remember I was in um, it was probably college, um, and I remember that I didn't prepare for I had a, this paper was due, and I was down at Illinois State at the time, and this paper was due. And I had procrastinated, and writing was not my strong suit. And I had put this off, and I knew about it, and I put it off. And and the night before, or whatever the window was, I'm I'm pretty sure it was like the day before, or whatever the night before. Um, I knew that now I had to do it. Right? I didn't necessarily have to get an A in the classes. Me having a 4.0 was not necessarily where my identity was wrapped up. I was bodybuilding. I played football. That was where my identity was wrapped up in. Um, but I didn't want to fail and failing was well failing and so I didn't want to do that Um, so I sit down to do this and now the anxiety about the time the the time limit uh, I only had so much time now to do this and I'm starting I couldn't get started it took me hours to get started because I was in this block now I know some people and this is how I got this I saw other people do that cramming thing or do that last minute thing and they ended up loving it. It worked great for them. For me, I've made a decision that night, and I got through it, and I, I don't know, maybe I got a B on it or whatever I got it on the paper. But I know that the experience of putting it off was so torturous, so anxiety-filled, and so mentally draining, I vowed that I'd never, ever do that to myself again. It was the same way studying for a test. Nothing worse to me was going to the day of the test opening up whatever the booklet or whatever it is and going, I don't know what this is. There's nothing worse for me than that. I would prepare 
and I would study and I would start writing my papers just to avoid that feeling. It goes back to what I think we were, I wanted to get to before. It, it isn't about the anxiety in itself is bad. The anxiety is a response, the fear, right, of the fear of, uh, of, of you, you push through the edge, this, this perceived threat that was going on is a response to the situation. If I don't want, what is it that I need to learn about that and learn by going through that so that I can then make some different decisions in the future? Um, I know for me, by learning ahead of time that preparation was a way for me to reduce that anxiety, it, it did have an impact on the outcome. Yeah. You know, the outcome was that I was more prepared than if I didn't prepare. Yeah. But but the key was to not have that adrenaline pumping through my veins as I'm sitting taking the exam and I'm getting into a vapor lock because it's complete opposite of what you need to do um, to write a paper, take a test. You want a limited amount of adrenaline because adrenaline is for fighting or flight, not for creative processing. Yeah. Well, you know, initially everything that comes to mind is the idea of like, okay, when I say competitive right I'm competitive I'm competitive with my my former self myself yesterday right mm -hmm. the idea that I'm competitive with other people is not really yeah. the case you know like I use other people as measuring sticks um, or skill checks like man they're really good at that they're mm -hmm. doing that they're they're succeeding at this like how could I do that? Or what can you learn? From yeah. That? yeah. What could I learn? How could I do it? I respect a lot of people who have skills. Like, uh, I, I, I like the idea of learning from other people. Mm -hmm. So when I think of competitive spirit, like I think of that as competitive to yourself, mm -hmm. right? How are you competing against yourself? Right. And then so, you know, going deeper into that, it's like when you're – when you're getting ready to prepare and you're anxious, oftentimes you're worried about the outcome, mm -hmm. right? And you're not focused on your abilities and what you're trying to actually achieve. You're trying to actually achieve your best expression, mm -hmm. right? Your ability to express itself within the individual venture, whether it's like writing a paper, performing uh, a, sport, uh, a sports activity, or, you know, building uh, an organization right mm -hmm. so you know i knew this in every single endeavor that i've embarked on it's been uh my focus to create that that acceptance and that focus on performance based off of the preparation right. you know like prepare for everything you know prepare for, you know, the thing that's been in my head and maybe this is something that um, i'll talk more about but you know, prepare for the worst, become best friends with the worst case scenario. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. And now that's a, that's one concept that governs a lot of how I think it's like, okay, if, if when you're talking about wrestling, like that's where you prepare for the worst case scenario. Cause that worst case scenario is the thing that you want to avoid mm -hmm. in a wrestling match mm -hmm. so that you can have the outcome that you want. But it's that same statement. It's also focus on the performance, right? So the opposite, you know, the polar opposite, the the opposite of focusing on the worst case scenario is like 
focus on the po- the best case scenario. You perform well. You you get your offensive attacks out. You know you stay in good position. Your conditioning is well. You got good rest last night. Um, you know you got a great warm up in. You got you know you you got great coaches in your corner. You got a great strategy for the match. Like mm-hmm. focus on those things as well. Right. You know prepare like this. Prepare for the worst case scenario, and by preparing for the worst case scenario it's easier in those moments of competition to go okay you know i'm prepared i'm going to make sure and execute this strategy listen to my coaches um get to sleep on time you know mm-hmm. wake up get a good warm-up in and 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 that's a sort of stuff so it's like the preparation is everything right. it's everything i mean it's it's confidence yeah. you know yeah. it, it's everything well and i think you know the combination of what you were just saying I just did a talk recently on sleep and wellness and in this idea that working hard and then making sure that you give yourself enough time to have quality sleep to restore. The working hard part um, is using using exercise, using uh, bodybuilding or wrestling as an example. Muscle doesn't grow when you're working out. Muscle grows when you're sleeping and but you have to work out to tear the muscle tissue down and then you have to sleep to restore it to uh, allow testosterone levels to rebalance serotonin levels all the other hormones to rebalance and be able to get into that REM sleep so that even from a creative standpoint that things can go from uh, just gathering information into long-term memory so we can sort out and that's all part of it um, is it's the combination of not only that's also part of the preparation piece of it um, anything that you don't know you're not going to learn that morning before the meet um, if you don't know it before then I'm pretty sure uh, there's not any new move you're going to teach someone that they can um, execute well um, yeah I mean that goes into everything that we've been talking about lately it's like it's unfolding yeah and let it unfold yeah there's a, 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 a as we get ready to wrap up for this episode, but there was a metaphor that came to mind when you were talking about preparation. And back uh, maybe a generation ago, uh, there was an element that if you were gonna go on a road trip, um, one of the things that you had to be prepared for is a flat tire, because this was pre-people having access to cell phones and all that. And if you were worried about having a flat tire, but you didn't make sure that your spare tire was inflated that you had a jack that you had you know a wrench to take the take the lug nuts off if you didn't have any of those things and you knew how to utilize them you had practiced changing a tire then there's a good reason why you should have anxiety on your road trip but if you've done that and you're going down the road doesn't mean that you should purposely aim for every pothole right but there's going to be times if you're like me that i'm going to think my 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 thinking can go off to the left and go, well, what if we get a flat? And I just have to remind myself that I have a fully inflated you know, spare tire. I have a jack. I have all the equipment. I know how to do it. It'll be inconvenient, but it won't be the end of the world. So I think this idea that um, utilizing um, the, the, a metaphor of that we can worry about worst case scenario which is, let's say in this case, a flat tire. But if we prepare for it, a flat tire still may happen. All right, 
Yeah. So we're going to have to pull off to the side of the road. We're going to have to spend, you know, may take us, whatever, 30 minutes longer to get to wherever we're going. But it's not the end of the world, even yeah. though that would be considered the worst case scenario. Now, if I haven't done any preparation and I just hoped uh, that it wouldn't happen, um, well, I've just made my, uh, my trip a little bit harder on myself because I didn't do any prep. You know, I think the beautiful thing about metaphors is that it ha- this has nothing at all to do with, uh, you know, a flat tire because there's a thousand kids, a thousand people right now going, well, I'll just call somebody on my cell phone. Um, but it's more about how does this apply to life um, with preparation. We identify something as what could be the obstacle in the road. And if we've identified what that obstacle is, instead of wishing it wasn't there, um, what is it that I can learn what is it I can grow? What te- what element of this obstacle is now now my teacher? Regardless of that, is um, slowing myself down and letting things unfold, or is it as things are unfolding, I'm still doing all the prep work sh- prep work that I can do, or maybe stepping back and giving myself enough time to be creative and not just pushing just to push. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I use, you know, because of wrestling, it's like a combative sport. So yeah. I always talk about metaphors with, you know, your sword, you yeah. know, sharpening your sword. Um, your sh- sword could, you know, it's all types of mm-hmm. preparation. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what. Um, I don't know what. I guess when we talk about all these things, I feel like they're so um, understood. Like, you know, like, duh, like, I get it because I've gotten it. Like, I prepare, right? And if something comes up that doesn't feel good, it's like, why didn't I prepare? Why didn't I think? Why couldn't I have thought ahead of time that that could have happened? Because I'm, I mean, like, I can do that with anything, you know? That's why, like, I can go into businesses and, and I can say, all right, give me your business plan. Uh, what you, how you're executing your business plan, um, what your costs are, mm-hmm. and uh, I can tell you if you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's 100% because I can look at the – I mean, one, I think human beings are set up to kind of look at those flaws, mm-hmm. but sometimes we're, like, taught to ignore those things mm-hmm. from a negative standpoint, like um, because, you know, if you focus on those negatives, it kind of gets uh, – well, I think Grim, there's also. Right? I think I think there also is an element, regardless if we're talking about a father or a mother w- when it comes to wrestling, or a business owner with their business. There's a tendency to become so attached yeah, to yeah, yeah. to the baby, regardless if the baby's the yeah, business or the baby's your your 15 year old son, um, that they that ignore things. Yeah. Well. Yeah. They ignore. They they choose to look the other way. They yeah, build yeah, up yeah. another storyline. You yeah. know, it's it's an interesting thing, and and I didn't I debated if I was even going to bring this up, but um, I was listening to uh, uh, a podcast this morning, and in in now when this episode comes out, it'll be a few weeks later, right? But this political thing that was going on with this whole uh, looking into Trump, if he'd been involved with Russia or not involved, and it's been what a year and a half since he's been elected, I think. Yeah. And and now it's come out that the Mueller report is saying that he wasn't involved, right? And I, I'm listening to this commentary go on, um, and this was on a podcast, so it had nothing to. It was just independent, just guys yeah. like you and I talking, right? And it was just their observation, but it was this individual that said. Uh, that d- didn't focus either on 
you know, Trump or whatever, didn't focus on any of that, but focused on how the media had, had certain, certain elements of the media had, had taken this in spite of the evidence that was there, had made this whole storyline that he had to have been doing this because yeah. they didn't like him. And, and this isn't about liking Trump or not liking Trump or is it doing a good job yeah, or not doing a good job. It's a great analogy, though. But it's this idea that there was a certain ind- certain group of individuals that have so much vested in the outcome that when it doesn't go in the way that they want it to go, they're going to make up a story of Still why it must have went it. that way. Yeah. You know, and that's a, that. And then we have other individuals who are making money off of that. Yeah. Um, regardless if it's in the media or, or in the news or, or whatever it is. And because of the lack of awareness, you know, if I have a certain desire for outcome, then I've already put myself in a vulnerable position yeah. to be swayed not only by my own emotions, but all the other people who are yeah. going to be dictating this process. Yeah. It's and a, it's a, I mean, what you just said is, is, you know, especially the the politics, it's so clear, right? Because, I mean, it's so interesting how politics has, has, it, I mean, one, the internet, technology, social media, um, just communication in general has skyrocketed in the last decade, which I think is just unbelievably uh, awesome because stuff like this is just creating opportunities to talk about things that we noticed because we're we're now we're even more capable of noticing things because it's just not you and I talking about something. Yeah. It's like there's other people noticing those too. So now yeah. we can spot out these things. Yeah. But it's so fascinating that a human tendency is to create a new story to justify the situation. Right. Right. So it's like, well, uh, this is happening right now, but it must be because of this. Yeah. Somebody must be lying to us. Yeah. Um, he must have cheated to win. Yes, yeah, yes. You know, because he, he couldn't have won on any merit because yeah. he's blank, blank, blank. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. And so that, that, that transcends into almost all of these things. Business itself, right? Like there are, there, are, there are things that you can see, right? And the things that you see are the problems or the potential problems, right? And that makes the percentage of success go lower, right? Mm-hmm. Um, within businesses. Mm-hmm. What's the market right what's the demographic of the market um how much gdp is available in that market um that skill that service or product what's the demand in that market and so all these things right and you can look at them and you can say okay well it might be hard it's gonna be easier to succeed uh selling something like uh gas that everybody needs as opposed to selling let's just say hearing aids. There's only a specific population of people. So instantly there's like a change in competitive marketplaces. Well, it's like there are people that get into the difficult marketplaces, right? And then they lose and then they say it's because so-and-so did this or that. It's like, well, it's competitive. So it's like harder to do. So, you you know, um, you're not... You're not splitting wood. You're doing something more complicated. And so with any type of situation, I think people just... They have to because, again, again, going back to – I don't know if we even started the podcast with it, but all goes back to this order and chaos yeah. because, for instance, the political thing, Trump being exonerated in some type of way could mean that 
their world is now in chaos because what they view as how the world needs to be going, what yep. direction it needs to be headed, yep. uh, he's not doing it. So therefore now everything's messed up. Yep. In sports, if I tell a kid like, hey, if I tell a parent and a kid like, hey, you're not doing the things you need to do to get to here. Well, that might throw a monkey wrench into everything. And now they're yeah. chaos. Like, well, what's plan B? Yeah. Well, I don't know. But it can't be this because this is not working. Well, and, and so so I'm going to go back to this piece and, and we'll, we'll try to see if we can yeah, yeah, move, sure. move into wrapping, wrapping today's episode up. And I know we could spend tons of time talking about different things. But we, we, we talked about this idea of self-awareness. And, um, and, and whenever this is that we have a, a desire, a goal, and that's going to be coming out of our order. Right? Yeah. And, and then when something happens, and the more that I'm emotionally invested in the specific outcome, conference championship, uh, an election outcome, um, uh, whatever it may be, right, w- winning the next round in the tournament to go, to continue going, or whatever it may be business-wise, the more that I have invested in that, emotionally have invested in that next level of success, um, the more likely that if it doesn't turn out, then I'm going to either create a villain in the story or I'm going to attribute that the other person just got lucky. So, so there's this tendency that I'm going to, um, or, or I'm going to think that it was bad luck on my part, right? And so I was watching, you know, a phenomenal basketball game. You know, Duke's ranked number one. They're playing against uh, Central Florida yesterday. It was in the second round of the NCAA, and UCF was hanging with them and, and just was just pushing them. And, and there was a couple things that happened. It's called basketball that were just happened, right? And at the very end, Duke pulled it out by, by one point. The reason why I said they pulled it out was because they were ranked much stronger, um, much heavily more favored than uh, than UCF 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 was, and and the reality is is that it was a very competitive game going back and forth, and one team won, and the other one didn't win, but there was two great teams playing, and and they and a bunch of talented individuals that were that were playing. Um, there's no villain to the story. You know, the, the one coach for UCF used to work for was an assistant of the Duke coach. And you, and you could see how much, um, how much they cared about each other, how much they loved each other, how much they knew each other's families. Um, like the one coach said, there was no, there was no way that this was going to go well. Yeah. Some, we were both going to be heartbroken if we won or if we lo- lost because of how much they cared about the other person. Yeah. To me, that was what sports are supposed to be like. Well, when you say that, this is one of the things that popped in my head was the reason why I wish every single person would try to do something hard, right, or or try to do something and be the best at it, right, because the moment you commit, right, going back to that hero's journey idea, the moment you honor that initiation, right, that that process of like how far you can take it mm. once you go through the, the 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 jungle of obstacles and and trials and all these things that come about Death right of your own self yeah like yeah. when you come through all of that then you can lose and you can look across to to your competitor 
and you can respect them for the nature that the, for the simple fact that you know what at least they went through mm-hmm. and that you could throw in your head the possibility that maybe they went through a little bit more yeah and then then like so that's why I love high level competition because yeah. high level competition you want to win yeah you want to compete. You want to f- say that your modalities of training are better than other people's, yeah. right? Your heart and your determination is stronger than anybody else's. But when you lose, you have to give them – like you – it's it's almost impo- – you can be annoyed and upset and hate losing. You can't – but if – unless you're a complete sociopath, right, where you're not aware of anything, you can't look and say that they're not good. Yeah. It's one of the things I laugh about. People, people say, ah, he's not good. Like, you, They're not good? <laughs> they just whipped you. Yeah. They're not good. Yeah. Let's just say they're good yeah. and just say you didn't do as well as you should have. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Don't tell me that the guy who whipped you isn't good because yeah. that makes you look really bad right now. Yeah. <laughs> right? Even less than that. Yeah. yeah, and so it's like when you get to those experiences where you push yourself when when the uh, the head coach was the assistant coach of the the team that won and you go man i know what they're doing mm-hmm. and we're right there yeah that is unbelievable that's a great feat they're the number 1 team in the country we are under uh, you know we're we we were not that high right i don't know the yeah. rank that they were but I'm assuming 16 or, or they uh, to be honest with you, I this was in their bracket and Duke was number one in the bracket and UCF was Down number there. nine or whatever yeah. it was. But but the fact that they did that, they can that that coach knows oh, yeah. what the best of the best are doing and and he obviously knows that that they're right there. So it's like that's why I wish people did stuff hard. Like the the you know when it comes to politics or business or whatever, you know, and I find myself doing this all the time. Um, but I always try to go, all right, I'm either not going to worry about it or I'm going to try to do it. And uh, I just wish people would try to do the the best that they could at something so that they could have that, so that they can be humbled. How about that? Like humbled is the best word. It's like I know I'm good at wrestling. I know I train hard, and I know that I continue to learn. I know that I continue to take care of my mind, my body, and everything. But man, when I see somebody that's doing really well, or if I compete against somebody and they take, and they beat me, take me down, or, or something like that, it's like, what are you doing? That's awesome. That's yeah. you know, I respect that. And uh, um, yeah, I wish we wish I wish more people would just do require themselves to do that so that they could understand. Because I think you know, talk about society. I think that's what is holding us back is. Our, our judgment's not warranted. Like, it's like, if you want to judge because you are the type of person that does the actions, right? Like, if you hold the standard and then you judge somebody, but you can understand why they went, you know, mm-hmm. then you have empathy. Then you have a true empathy because yeah. you're in the trenches, yeah. right? And that's going back to the season and the coaching. Like, I think that's one of the things that has taught me to be even more unattached is the empathy. It's like, okay. You know, all these things are going on. Yeah. I, I can judge them for what they are, and, but I, I really have to try to figure out how to how to solve those these problems. Yeah. Um, but it's not so simple as how to teach wrestling. Yeah. So. Well, I think, in a, and I'm going to wrap up with this piece. I, th- the, I think the thing that I remember about uh, 
wrestling, one of the things I took away is not only just the opportunity to push yourself and find out what you can do and, and go up against and be aware of what am I, what's, what am I doing or not doing to hold myself back, um, fear of whatever it may be, and that competition allows it to set, uh, set the standard. You know, the competition is how I can test myself. But then the seasons, then, then uh, the state tournament kicks in, at least back, back when I was competing. Then the state tournament kicked in. And then these teams that competed against each other, these individuals competed against each other um, throughout the season, would then go over to uh, different wrestling rooms, and they would collaborate and wrestle together to get ready for the state tournament. I think that that is part of a key, is self-awareness, preparation and the competition, but then with my competitors, I can collaborate in which to continue growing. My competitor doesn't have to be my enemy. Doesn't mean I'm any less or softer of a competitor that I'm willing to collaborate, that when the match is over, when, the, when whatever is over, that we can collaborate together and both become stronger because. If we push ourselves on metaphorically the mat or the court or the field, in business, wherever it is, um, that's essence of how we can continue sharpening ourselves. But the collaboration is going to allow us to think outside the box. Uh, we can't do that if you have to be the enemy in my story. If you have to be, um, if I have to demonize you because uh, of, of whatever, um, I think that's going to interfere with imagination, um, with creativity. And then ultimately, it's going to take energy away from me focusing on my preparation yeah. and what I can do. Dalton, you know, as always, it's, it's great having you on here. We could probably spend another, another couple hours, so we'll just have to have that to be another episode. Yeah. Uh, but I appreciate you being here, and I uh, appreciate everything you're doing in the community and your ideas and, and how much you're helping um, not only these young adults, but then um, not in the, just the Belvedere area, in the Rockford area, but around the state as well and helping these coaches and learning from them as well so uh, thank you again i appreciate it and um, thank you for being with us uh, today on the journey um, we uh, we're going to have another episode next week and we're going to have an individual that has gone through her own journey of struggle and setback and what she decided to do with that so um, please come back next week and uh, and welcome our guest thank you very much <laughs>